Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and I'm going to let my guest introduce himself today because I'm an idiot. Can you introduce yourself, please? Uh, ben Cleary is my name. Good to meet you, Ben Cleary. I knew that all along. I knew that all along. We'll keep that joke between ourselves. <laughs> um, now, we've come to talk about... We've come together because you've made a short film called Stutterer, yeah? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Do you want to give us a... Do you want to give the listener a brief synopsis of... Uh, sort of to give a taste of, of flavour as to what that film is? Yeah, sure. It's a short film. Um, it's about uh, a gentleman called Greenwood uh, who has a sort of severe speech impediment which sort of hampers his interactions with the world. But... He's got a very sort of, uh, his inner voice is, is um, quite uh, sort of eloquent and charming. We get to hear this through a voiceover. And he, his one kind of window into the world is a relationship, an online relationship with a girl called Ellie that's been going on for about six months. And sort of early on in the film, uh, Ellie gets uh, in contact with them with a sort of surprise message saying that she's travelled all the way to London and would he like to, you know, to meet in, in person um, for the very first time. So this really sort of throws his whole world uh, kilter and um, yeah I won't give away the sort of twists and turns oh from god there. no no don't no, yeah no. that's the that's the nuts and bolts of it yeah no and it's and it, it's, uh, it's 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 a film that's done looking at your laurels has done really well on the fest, film festival circuit yeah we've been we were kind of um, weren't expecting the, the, the success it's had but we've been kind of blown away by it and we've been very lucky to get into a lot of festivals you know so it's been it's been great really and have you, have you been able to go and visit any when, when it's been shown? Um, yeah, like, I mean, our budget's really kind of thin, so I haven't been able to do um, a lot of them. But I've gotten to, I think I've gotten to most of the Irish ones that it's played at. And I got over to um, Aesthetica um, Festival in York over in England and then um, got over to Savannah in the States, um, Savannah, Georgia. They they paid for us to come out, which was absolutely amazing, so... Yeah, that, that's kind of been the extent of it. It would have been lovely to be able to get to a lot of them, but it's just, I mean, if you were to try and get to all of them, you'd end up, you know, it would cost a lot anyway. No, 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 indeed, indeed. I think that gives, gives a little window into the world for people who yeah. who might not make movies that you'd think, you'd, you'd naturally assume that all arrangements would be like Savannah, Savannah in Georgia, yeah. but uh, sadly not, sadly not. 
No, I guess, I mean, I suppose for, for a lot of these festivals, um, you know, they probably don't have a lot of money either. And, you know, they might be showing, say, you know, 50 or 60 short films in some cases, maybe more. Hmm. Um, so I guess if you were to try and, you know, pay for flights and accommodation for all the filmmakers, it would be, you know, it would just be sort of um, unmanageable, I guess. So so is the is the writer director of this? Where where let's start with the writing before we do the directing. Yeah. Um where 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 or how did you conceive the idea for Stutterer? How was it born for you? Yeah, well initially I um I saw uh, something online, um this this man was talking, he had a he had a bad stutter and he'd been um sort of battling with it for years and had managed to get it to a level where he was able to sort of, you know, communicate um, with people. But every time he got on the phone, he sort of, he just found it really, really difficult and the stutter would really come back and he would, uh, he would climb up and wouldn't be able to speak, um, you know, the way he wanted to. And this sort of, this idea struck a bit of a chord with me. And um, from there, I just, I got an idea to do something about someone with, with a stutter, um, and you know, it sort of unfolded from there. But that was the initial seed, I guess. Yeah, because I, th- I think because I mean, you introduce it brilliantly with the, um, the sort of telephone call to the to the phone to the broadband company, oh, yeah. and it, it sort of brought shed the light really on that idea that if 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 you meet someone that's got a stutter, and funny enough, before we started recording this, we were talking about Kieran Foy, the Irish uh, horror film director, and he yeah. took he t- when I asked him about the Citadel idea, he talked directly about his own experiences of um, of panic attacks and, and and the like and claustrophobia right. and agoraphobia, sorry, not claustrophobia, from a personal point of view. So I was, in the run up to this podcast, I was thinking, you know, what if uh, what if Ben has got the stutter? I was thinking, yeah. like, how does this work for a podcast? I wasn't quite. It was just something run through my mind because that's what the phone call makes you realize is that. When you don't see someone, yeah. it's, it's hard to comprehend that they're you know that they're talking. Whereas if you stood in front of somebody, it, it may be uncomfortable for you and them, but you at least know they're trying to talk, you know. And you 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 generally, if it happens, you'd give people all the patience in the world. Yeah, exactly. But, and that was the that was the sort of that was the thing I think that this gentleman was talking about that really struck a chord with me. You know, when his when it was just his voice on show, he just it, he found it a lot more difficult without you know a kind of human sitting across from him that he could you know maintain eye contact with and and mm. you know like what you're talking about. It just was it was doubly as hard, you know. And it just it I suppose it just really made me think um, about it a lot about about um, you know someone with a stutter and. You know, my, my dad had one when he was growing up until he was about 13. Um, and I, you know, I had a couple of friends growing up who had them as well. And so I suppose, you know, I've had experience, um, you know, of it. And then I think that sort of combined with seeing the, the, the online thing just really got my brain into thinking all about how, you know, someone with something like this would, would be interacting with, the, with people out in the world, you know, which I found fascinating and quite, um, you know, touching and, and um, something worth exploring, I think, you know. And, and as, as a writer yourself, um, what's your process? You know, are you, a, are you up with the lark, burning the midnight oil, you know, as and when you can? You know, how, what's your writing sort of practice? Um, I used to be more of an night owl. I think I've, more, I've got more of a routine now. I, I would tend to get up quite early and, and try and get to, to my desk or if I'm going to a coffee shop, try and get there early enough and sort of... Mm get a load of actual writing done. But I mean, in terms of ideas, I tend to, I, I tend to sort of get more of them when, you know, I least expect it or if I'm, if I'm walking or, you know what I mean? I, I wouldn't, mm. wouldn't tend to sit at the desk and, 
and try and go right idea for a short let's go it's sort of it's a lot less <laughs> organized than that i think you know uh, hoping the idea is going to pour out your eyes yeah just like right idea now this this hour is set ready so yeah now it's more just that that happens when it does and, and you kind of go with it i guess but um yeah i wouldn't be i wouldn't be too do, doing the late stuff really anymore i find them better with a bit of a routine in terms of actually doing the writing itself now now rather rather neatly for and, and I, I think this isn't atypical for shorts uh you you've done essentially like a beginning middle and end i mean a lot of shorts are kind of seem to be sort of set up and pay off almost like a they're not always comedy but you know it's almost like a like the, the model of a, of a comedy skit is the sort of short a way a short film can function but i feel like watching your movie there was there was you know it runs for 12 minutes or so so you've got you've got some time there but but it does feel like a beginning middle and end did you did you outline it or was you straight into the just writing the script out um, I, yeah, I would have outlined it all right, yeah. I mean, but the, I, I got the, the initial idea and then sort of, I, I didn't put pen to paper for a good week or two. I think that's generally how I'd, I'd, um, do it. And then I'd actually write the thing quite quickly, you know. Okay. But, um, I wanted to, I mean, it sort of starts with, with the subplot and then the main plot comes in about three or four minutes in, which is a bit of a risk, I guess. Um, and it's something that you might see more in feature films, you know. Of course, so yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, so in this one, I mean, it, it, it kind of does follow the three-act structure within a short film, and I think that's risky because a lot of times people um, say, you know, don't try and, um, you know, force a, a sort of feature film idea into a into a short. So I, I suppose that was a little bit of a risk. But, yeah, I think it does have it does have sort of, of course, the beginning, middle, and end thing and quite a big arc. Um, but, I, I, yeah, it just it sort of it felt right, you know. It felt like telling... This particular story um, deserved that, and you know, it, it deserved a kind of big world, a big story world. And I think that you know, hopefully, when you watch it, you you get the feeling that there's a bigger world here, and that these characters have, you know, lives sort of um, that stretch further than just the short. Now you've got two cinematic challenges, I guess, with the film. You've got you've got on location in London, which is never easy, mm -hmm. and you've got computers. Yeah. So what yeah. was, where, where did you, how did you go about, I mean, certainly what were the conversations like with your cinematographer, say, for the computer stuff and things like that? How did, how did... Yeah, that was, we, we had to sort of, we had to kind of work out how we were going to do that um, best, you know, because, um, you know, there's, there's a risk when you're, when you're just looking at a computer screen, I guess, uh, you know, in the cinema or whatever that um, you could lose, you know, the audience um, involvement, I think. Mm. So, you know, I was conscious of the fact that watching his reactions as much as possible was very important because, in a sense, the computer screen is, is a character in the movie. That's the way I look. Of course, yeah. Part, you know? So I was just conscious that we made sure to get, um, you know, as, as much of, of the reactions of, of Greenwood, the main character, as we could, and to try and minimize the amount we were actually looking at a screen but not you know but but still having it there as a character and and there as much as we want i mean a lot of it really came down to the edit i think mm. um deciding you know that balance and i mean early on i think the second or third the third scene in the film is you know a conversation between greenwood and ellie mm. and it's all you know the screen and then kind of his his reactions so yeah, the computer screen really is a character, and yeah, it was. It's actually an interesting question because it's, it was quite it was something that took quite a while I think to get right in the edit. 
No, no, I, I know from from experience, sort of um, talking to producers on other scripts of scripts I've worked on, it's sort of like they want to get it out because obviously it's not cinematic. Yeah, <laughs> is the main thing. But I would I would caveat that by saying that actually, when you've established who Greenwood is, yeah, we feel his relief to be typing away on a mess on on instant messenger yeah. compared to on a phone. So you're right; it feels like. A, an extension of his character, but also there is a character that he's talking to. Yeah, well, that that's exactly it. Like, you know, and he he feels at home typing, and he's a very quick typer, clearly, because he sort of does it a lot. And this is his talking, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it did feel important um, to, to show that, exactly like you were saying there, you know. So, was, out of interest in the kind of, as a, as a direct comparison, you give him a job or vocation of a typesetter. Yeah. Um, was that was that to tie in with that literally? Well, it, you know, he he does he it, strangely enough he does love words, you know, mm. which in some ways makes it all the more poignant. I think that that he does have um, you know uh, these challenges, um, and I I thought it was really it's it felt right actually, and that was that was something that happened quite early on that he was going to be involved with with words in the in the writing process you know yeah, yeah, yeah. that sort of that happened quite early on and i think it was you know the fact that he's surrounded by words and actually loves them for me was made it all you know um all the more sort of um poignant and and interesting now um before we get onto the location stuff uh, sort of shooting in london the other thing that i think that uh, your, your film sort of breaks breaks with sort of conventions that people might sort of frown upon is the the use of voiceover and I think again like your computer screen the voiceover is an important extension of what's going on as opposed to a replacement for something you know it mm -hmm. it is uh, and I, and I must admit I, I, as as a as its own little arc I thought the snap judgments were, were beautiful. Especially uh -huh. where you set up and pay off on that, uh, you know, the inevitable staring at himself in the mirror kind of snap judgment. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, the snap judgments. Um, I, I, I just sort of lived with this character for a while while I was writing him, and um, I thought about what it would be like, you know. And and he's he's a he's a people watcher, you know. Mm. Um, and although he doesn't have many interactions out in the world, he, I think he. Um, you know, he watches people and he, you know, he's, he's got this great mind, I think, that sort of um, is able to, to sort of come up with these these quite um, interesting sort of um, little vignettes of what people, you know, potentially are like. And it's all the more poignant in that he, he, he just can't actually really approach these people, you know. Mm. I found that, I found that, that quite interesting, the snap judgment, yeah. But but also I mean I guess I guess because we, we we as human beings place so much importance on not just what people say but how they say it you know that's what the you know people often say that about famous speeches it was like how they said it not what they said that, that yeah. had the impact so obviously a stutter is is kind of like the way to sound the worst you possibly can with the, you know a, 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 you know apart from somebody who might be completely mute uh, and unable to speak. And um, and I think that having that eloquence in his mind is 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 there for the audience to know that the disability he suffers from isn't mental, is it? In terms of him, he's yeah. he's a bright bloke, isn't he? Yeah, well, that's just. I mean, that's just that's just true. That's the way the way it is, isn't it? You know, it's mm. uh, 
Um, and that was one of the things that really interested me when I got that idea for, well, let's hear what's actually going on inside. And this guy is like, you know, he's, he's witty and he's eloquent and he's kind of charming and stuff, you know. Um, that to me just is, is, is real. And, I, you know, we all have this. We all have this voice inside our head, of course, you know, that when we're when we're out and about, you know, um, and having him sort of, um, you know, have this have this eloquence um, was one of the main things that interested me. And it's funny because the voiceover thing, of course, it's one of the screenwriting, you know, try try to never do voiceover. But I think this was a voiceover with a with a difference, you know, no, without a doubt. Um, so it was it was. Yeah, it was really that. That was one of the best parts for me was was writing that, you know, and and trying to decide what was it that that was going on inside his head, you know. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes, and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. You regularly do a kind of portrait shot of him in the film, don't you? Where you're allowing the audience to sort of look at him going through whatever emotion he might be. And yeah. then the voices we get to hear is a reflection of what we're seeing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I like, you know, I wanted to be quite close to him um, again and, and for us to just be sort of looking at him as as he's reacting to something and to, to sort of be trying to decide what might be going on in his head and then sometimes to actually hear what he would have said if he, if he could have spoken, you know. Have, have, you, have you showed it to... People who do. I mean, what did your father think of it as someone that had a, had a stutter and he's yeah, as, well, as a portrayal of it? I was nervous showing it to my family because I'd never, you know, it was the first thing I'd ever shown them. But um, yeah, my dad, my dad really liked it. They all really liked it, which was nice, you know. Mm. Um, I think it, you know, personally, I think it, it um, you know, portrays um, the issue in a in a in a in a good light and a light that hopefully makes people think um, about it and perhaps think about about it in ways they haven't thought about, you know, before. I, I like to think that's that's what it is, you know, but I guess people will, will look at it, you know, everyone will look at it differently, I guess, but that's the way I would hope that it comes across, you know? No, 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 I think, I think, I think it's very, very sympathetic and um, it's, 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 it's always a challenge and, 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 you know, not, and I'm not going to give, give the end, the end in a way, but equally you stretch, you stretch that sympathy to, to, to its logical conclusion as well because you make us, you make all of our preconceptions tip them on the head at the end and I think that's really clever <laughs> uh, thanks <laughs> um, um, it's it's kind of and it's that lovely thing as well where where it's a, where what you give us is a surprise but also it's perfectly logical what you've done with what you've set up and what you pay off I think you know so a proverbial pat on, pat on the back for me at least uh, thank you thank you um, so going back to the point I was saying earlier about about the other the other challenge you gave yourself, which was shooting on location in London and including on public transport, you know, how did you get around that? Well, our producers were great. Um, uh, Shan, Christopher Elgovy, and uh, Serena Armitage, they they kind of played a blinder, but it was it was a, a kind of mad baptism of fire uh, shoot. We did it for three and a half days, hmm. um, and I think we had like twelve locations and like seven seven or eight actors um and so it was it was a bit mad and it was a bit sort of like right shoot here uh quickly everyone run down the road to that pub shoot there for a bit right over out to the canal you know kind of thing mm. so it was it was absolutely you know it was kind of mad but it was um it was just a lot of run and gun stuff and you know um we we kind of had to just chance our arms sometimes you know without permits and all that kind of stuff you know really sort of indie sort of 
thing, you know, guerrilla filmmaking, but it was, luckily we sort of managed to get through it. Um, I don't know how, but we did in three and a half days. A lot of the time we, we barely had any takes. It would be like, okay, maximum two takes here and then move on. And, you know, luckily the, just the actors, uh, Matthew Needham and Chloe Perry and the rest of them were just, um, were, were brilliant. So that was, that was lucky and it was great. I love, I, lo I love hearing stories like this because it kind of, it's that, that old thing about the camera never lies. It lies through its teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. Um, it was, it was just a great experience, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I think you'd be hard pushed to go on to a more hectic um, shoot. You know that was as that was as mad as you get, and it was kind of like doing stuff till three or four in the morning, and then up at eight, and you know that, all that kind of stuff. So but, looking back, on, looking back on that three and a half days, though, what, what what aspects of it presented you with the biggest challenge? Do you think? Sort of what I was just talking about there. Yeah, sort of time time constraints and. Um, and that sort of stuff. I mean, I found I really enjoyed working with actors, and um, you know, I think going from from like I've got a screenwriting background, and this is my first um, time directing. So it was um, obviously I was learning as I went a lot, but I did find that it was you know um, a natural extension of of the screenwriting process. Really, you know, you're you're going through so much of the stuff that you go through. Um, when you're preparing to direct something, when you're screenwriting, that like it, it, it didn't, you know, felt natural to move on to it, and I, I just really enjoyed it. So, um, how many festivals has it played at then so far? Do you, do, uh, as a rough number, um, I think it's played at about between fifteen and twenty. I think so far. Brilliant, brilliant. So, what, what next for Stutter then? Um, well, we, we got the news that we, you know, gotten the, the shortlist for the Oscars, which is. Absolutely mad. I still find it hard to kind of even say those words. So we're, um, we're sort of, um, we're waiting to see if we get down to the next five, which is the actual nominations. And that's in uh, mid-January. Um, okay. And uh, and then there's just kind of going to be more festivals. We're playing a few festivals in, um, in January and in the new year. So I think hopefully get into some more and hopefully get to attend some as well. So has your phone not stopped ringing then since you got nominated, since you got long-listed? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a bit mad, like, all right, yeah, I mean, the first few days after it were kind of overwhelming and just sort of, yeah, I was in the middle of a shoot as well, so it was just, like, really hectic and, and nuts, but um, it's it's quietened down a bit now. So you say, you say you, you've got, you, you're an ad, ad director background, did you say? Uh, I was just a screenwriting background, so I, I, I came to, I did a, Masters at the London Film School. Um, I finished in 2011, okay. and then I, I was sort of writing shorts, um, and you know, found that I couldn't get the funding um, as the director as well. So I was having to get other directors mm. to stuff. Um, so I ended up just doing this, um, funding something myself. I mean, because that was the only way I could kind of do it. So yeah, so I, know, this, I know them problems. Hmm? I said, I know them problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty mad trying to raise funding. So, yeah, just did it like this on a shoestring budget, and um, you know, luckily it all worked out, and just we managed to kind of convince a, a really great team of people to sort of take a risk on a first time director. So, I was lucky, really lucky with that. So, how, how did you come? How did you come across your producers? How did that relationship begin? They're both mates of mine. I was uh, living in um, the same house with uh, Serena at the time. And we, I mean, they knew I really wanted to direct something. And, um, you know, her and Shan are both, uh, 
you know, producers, Sham directs as well. And so we just, it was kind of chats around the, the dinner table kind of thing. And then, um, we said, right, let's do this, you know, and, um, I had a few quid saved and then I got, um, another few quid from a, a writing job I did. And we just said, right, let's, let's go. I mean, it all happened quite quickly then, you know. And did, did they get involved creatively with you in terms of the screenplay? Or was it very much about them pulling the project together so you could do the shoot? There was, yeah, I mean, there was, um, there was feedback, you know, a lot as we went with the, with the script and stuff. Um, and, you know, it's great that they both have a kind of, um, a background in the creative side of it because, you know, especially like with the edit and things like that, it was really nice having sort of, um, you know, two, two people I could sort of, you know, send it to and get some really constructive, um, feedback from, you know, so it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't all just the organization stuff. They definitely, they both got really good film heads on them. So that was, that was nice. And it was a nice sort of, it was nice to have that sort of collaboration type thing going on. So have you got yourself a little drawer full of feature films that you're now gagging to direct? That you've um, not really. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm developing one at the moment and I'm writing another one uh, with another writer that he's going to direct in LA. We've kind of been working on that for about two years. But mm. yeah, I'm kind of developing one and I'm talking to a few different people about hopefully getting the ball rolling on that, you know. Fantastic. But I want to I I try and make another short film or two because I'm very much so still you know, really learning here. So, um, learning my doing. So yeah, hopefully can raise some more, um, funding to, to try and make another short soon. So are you, are you based, are you based out in Dublin now or are you just there for the short time? Um, yeah, I, so I kind of like bankrupted myself. And I had to come home to Dublin. So I've been here actually now for, for about nine months and I'm actually really loving it back here. So I don't know what the, the future holds, like whether I'll be back in London. Um, I've kind of been back and forth a bit. So, um, yeah, Dublin at the moment. <laughs> All right. Well, look, thank you very much for coming on the podcast to talk about your film. Oh, thanks a million for having us. It's great. No, my pleasure, my pleasure, and, and obviously Britflix wish you all the best with the uh, the next phase of the uh, the Oscar nominations. Uh, thanks a million, fingers crossed. Indeed, indeed. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes, and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina.